This is Jesse Borrego. Come watch my new film, Phoenix, Oregon at phoenixoregonmovie.com. And this is Inside Your Head. And I never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant to grow up, don't think I'll make it through it. Things have been going south since I hit puberty. It looks like growing up is just too much for me. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by filmmaker Linda Reese, and it's very cool to have you here. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So you have some shorts out there. Before we get to the shorts, I do want to know how you went from, because uh, you did a lot of work on, in the art department on, on movies and TV, how you went from that to uh, directing your own, your own uh, projects. Um, well, I was a prop master for... A really long time on um, on all sorts of projects and most recent my last few years have been Stranger Things and True Detective mm-hmm. and um, I tend to prop probably more heavily than a lot of prop masters do and I like to delve into characters and backstories and um, and I've always been like that so it and when you're a prop master, you you have to know the script inside out, especially in television. Um, but you really need to know everything about every every portion of the story and all of the characters so that you can provide the right things. You have interaction with the actors on a daily basis and creatively with decisions on what they have and what they use. You work with costumes, you work with grip, electric, special effects, um, sound everybody Uh, so I think it's actually quite a natural progression even though it's not really Mm -hmm. happened um, much before Uh, because I've already spent a lot of time at camera next to camera I watch how you know everything works and Mm -hmm. I had sort of got to the point of it, it wasn't enough for me to just do that anymore I needed I needed more um, mm-hmm. creative input, yeah. and um, I needed to get out of propping before my uh, my desire for more creative input got me into trouble. For people speaking my mind at meetings, mm-hmm. etc. So. Right. For people who don't know what the term prop master means, can you explain that? Yeah, basically, we um, we provide um, anything that an actor um, uses or touches. There are obviously gray areas. Uh, furniture um, is always set deck, even though somebody might move a chair. It becomes a crossover between set deck props and special effects if the person picks up the chair and hits somebody over the head with it. Um, so we provide everything from watches and rings and eyewear and briefcases and handbags and books and then anything as they're going along. So if it's a doctor in a surgery, we would provide all the surgical tools and, um, you know, work with effects to, to do, you know, blood knives, etc. So it's anything an actor touches. And... Um, we're there, we, we work in prep, 
where we would break down scripts and get everything that you need, figure out everything that you need. Then you figure out what needs to be built or what needs to be purchased or what needs to be hired because there are prop houses that have lots and lots and lots of stuff that you can go in. For instance, if I need to kit out 30 SWAT guys or, um, you know, 45 college students, I can go to these prop houses and get all the necessary items and hire them. Um, if it's a period show, uh, if it's sort of a sandals and swords in the way back is the history kind of film, you often build and manufacture those things. Um, if it's contemporary, a lot of times it's product placement in addition to the building, hiring and purchasing. So, yeah, I like it when um, I, I, I don't particularly like to do contemporary. Um, I like to do research and I like to find out about things. So I like period pieces much more um, as a director, mm-hmm. um, even though both my shorts are contemporary. Um, as a director, I think I would prefer to do period. And as a prop master, I love doing period. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like something for like Stranger Things, I guess when you... When you're also doing like um, for a specific period of time, uh, do you have to do a lot of research to make sure you don't have something that would have came after like uh, that period? Yeah, you do. Um, there's also uh, that wonderful term cinematic license. Right. Um, so you might, you know, I, I like to try and start at a place of reality mm-hmm. and then. Um, then we can go from there. Sometimes you'll look at, you know, an actor or a director or production designer might come and say, I really like this for that prop. And I might say, well, that's a little later or they didn't have those or, um, you know, and then it's, then it's a case of, you know, well, this is what we want. So you go, mm-hmm. okay, I will get it for you. And, uh, and that's, so you have to do that kind of stuff, um, all the time. Uh, then there's also, especially for props, we invariably have to have at least two and if not four, um, sets of everything. So sometimes it's hard to find four of something or it's too mm-hmm. cost prohibitive to find four of something. Um, if it's a period piece. So, um, for instance, the bicycles on Stranger Things, um, beautifully, fully restored, um, perfectly working vintage bikes from the period are very expensive. And mm-hmm. I needed four matching for four kids. So that's right. 16 bikes, <laughs> you know, 12, 12 bikes, 16 bikes. Uh, um, yeah. And. Uh, that would have been, you know, they're anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars. That's my, you know, entire, you know, half of my budget gone. Mm. So I found, um, you know, I looked at the kids and who who the characters were, and um, you know, one of them, Mike. I was like, okay, his parents have money; he would have a newer bike. So I bought a really beautiful repro. Um, a vintage bike for him and then I took uh, the other three kids and I modeled my bikes actually on the bikes from Goonies 
Mm-hmm. Um, everyone always asks me if they're from ET, but no, I modeled my bikes on the bikes from Goonies. And they're BMX star bikes. And so I went out and looked at, you know, Walmart and Target and, and you know, sports chalet and all these different places to try and find BMX bikes that had a slightly older looking frame um, rather than the newer sort of weird forked shaped frames. And I found the bikes and then we basically completely dismantled them. I replaced seats. I replaced handlebars. I replaced um, pedals. uh, I replaced tires. um, uh, We painted and we did all sorts of stuff. And I was then able to create uh, my sets of four from new bikes where the brakes work and those kind of things because you can't have stuff that's not going to stop when the kids need it to stop. <laughs> right, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> on, a, on a show like um, uh, True Detective, when it's a totally different story arc each year and different actors and different... Is it a different like uh, crew each year? Um, there are um, only, uh, I think, five of us who've done mm-hmm. all three seasons. Uh, that's partly because each season has been in a different state. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was shot in Louisiana, the second in LA, and the third in Arkansas. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so there, there was that. Um, it's also availability. Um, so the, the Nick, um, the creator, showrunner, um, uh, the two of the producers, um, uh, actually three of the producers and the sound person and myself, uh, the only people that have done all, um, all three seasons. Mm-hmm. Is that like starting over each season then? Yeah, that's why I like it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the idea of doing, you know, a show that runs for, for 12 years or something is, is akin to, you know, wearing a power suit and, and, you know, having to go to an office every day for me, it would be vile. I would hate it. Uh-huh. I like, I like I, to be somewhere new. And, and you find out, you know, you meet new people, you find out new stuff. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get to, you know, I get to learn a little about a lot of different subjects. Sometimes mm-hmm. the subjects I don't necessarily really want to learn about but other times it's really interesting and you meet all sorts Mm. of different people and it's constantly changing it's like being in circus and that's what i love about it that's Mm. where i am what i enjoy most and if it is something that uh, a subject matter or a crew or an actor or something that is not particularly pleasant you know that six or seven months down the line you'll be with a whole new bunch of people so you can you can get through things, you know, not that I've ever really had that, but, um, you know, you've got that possibility. So, mm-hmm. so your recent, uh, short Lancaster park, um, really has like a lived in feel to everything. And, uh, do you think some of that is your background in, in, uh, in the art department and, and prop mastery? Yes. It's also the fact that I've done, you know, worked in the industry a long time. So I have really mm-hmm. amazing 
um, contacts and I was able to call upon uh, my friend Maria Ney, who is uh, a, a very successful, accomplished, brilliant set decorator. And I asked her to come on board with me to um, production design. And our trailers, the two trailers that you see the interiors of, were completely empty and utterly destroyed when when we got them. There mm. was no appliances. There was, um, you know, creatures had obviously been living in them because they had left their little deposits everywhere. And um, just, I mean, it was, they, they were utterly destroyed inside. Um, we had to sort of get them all cleaned out and then fully, and Maria and her team came on and um, we were, had access to the prop house at Warner Brothers and were able to um, source a lot of our furniture and set dressing from them, um, which was really wonderful. They uh, they sort of gave me an extended loan, as it were, for the weekend of everything. And um, it, it, was, it was that. I, I knew I could pass it off to somebody and not have to worry about it. So the, the, the look and the feel um, came from Maria and I talking and, and, and I'm showing her, you know, visuals and, and my lookbook and, and uh, my ideas of what I wanted it to feel like. And then I left her to it. And, and as a director, it's really um, lovely to be able to hand off that and know that that person speaks your language and will give you what it is that you need. Mm -hmm. And she most certainly did for me. It, they were stunning, those two, uh, those two trailers. My favorite is the trailer um, where the lady's getting her hair done, the tinfoil-headed woman, mm -hmm. Melissa. And my brief on that was that this woman um, was sort of peaked in like the mid eighties and she uh, had decorated that trailer based on, you know, sort of Laura Ashley esque type things when she first got married and nothing had changed. Nothing had changed in that place. It was all full of chintz and flowers and country living kind of, you know, dried flower arrangements and, uh, it was so over the top, it was fantastic. Mm. Um, unfortunately, because it's a trailer, it's fairly small. So you actually didn't see as much as, you know, the audience don't see right. the whole thing yeah. as much, um, especially in that one. Um, but but you you get it, you know, you get the, the idea of, of the craziness of those two places. Mm -hmm. Was it hard to, uh, go on, sorry. Oh, yeah, no, the exterior of our trailer park was pretty much how it was. Mm -hmm. You know, we really had found the end of the line trailer park to shoot in. Mm -hmm. And we got was it hard? cars. Yeah, was it hard to shoot in a small area? Um, no, you just have to sort of be, you know, um, smart about it. Um, there was a little question at the beginning um, from uh, my other producer of, 
you know, are you going to be able to shoot here? And I'm like, look, you know, for the last 25 years, I've filmed in great big spaces where you can take the walls out and I've also shot in elevators in real buildings. So, you know, you just have to, you know, the camera department has to work with you and, you know, be smart about how we shoot and how we light. Um, you just, and also your onset art people have to be really aware of where everything is so that when you turn around, you've moved all the furniture and squished it up against the wall on one side that you don't see. So you put the camera and when you turn around to shoot the other side, you've got to make sure that everything goes back exactly where it was. So, um, but like I said, I was really lucky. I had really experienced crew. I had, I had top of the line crew um, for a short film, which is pretty unusual. So um, just because they were all my friends and they all came and helped me out. They were all supportive of me trying to make this move to directing. So they were all there to support me. And that was what was really lucky. There was nobody learning on the job. Well, there was a couple of people learning on the job, but they were, I had selected them because they seemed like they were super knowledgeable about it anyway. They just hadn't been given the chance. Um, mm-hmm. My costume designer um, is number one on that list, and she um, was a costume PA, and was recommended to me by three, no, two costume designers. Both gave me her name, and she came on board. And she'd never really had that credit, but she said she wanted to be a costume designer from when she was seven, and everything that she had done since then was towards being a costume designer. So I was like, okay, I like you, you know, you're definitely driven and you have passion for what you want to do. So come on board. And, um, you know, but I, but like my, my DP and, and Maria, the de- um, c- uh, production designer, everybody else um, was, was a working professionals in the industry who came and um, helped me out for free. So uh, John John Crane wrote both uh, both the shorts you did. The, so I assume you knew him before you worked with him on the on the on yes, the movies. John and, I, John and I have worked together on on and off for that seven seven years. Um, he writes, but he's also a DP, mm-hmm. and he's a professional DP. Um, but he writes a lot of shorts as well. Uh, I actually think he's a brilliant writer and um when i decided i wanted to direct something he was the person i went to um, and asked him to write ready to go which he also shot and then when um we did that together on the isle of man and um that did very well on the on the festival circuit and it um got me into the sony diverse directors program and one of the things that came out of that was that I needed more work. Everybody was like, you have really, you know, long-term experience and, um, and your shorts really beautiful, but you only have one piece of work. It's really hard to sell that up the food chain. So mm-hmm. I talked to John about doing a second piece that I wanted to be quite different. Um, ready to go is quite stylized. And I needed also, there's only one person that speaks and ready to go. So I needed to have, you know, uh, scenes with two actors and, and uh, have a broader scope. 
so I asked him to write um, write Lancaster Park for me, and I gave him um, the brief. When when we did Ready to Go, I said, you know, just come up with something. But what I want is a, a, a complete narrative. I want a beginning, a middle, and an end of a story. Not uh, a lot of shorts are kind of sort of esoteric slices of life, um, mm-hmm. or you know, they don't seem to have. A, a classic narrative uh, format, mm-hmm. but I wanted that. And then when um, I went to him for Lancaster Park, I said, you know, again, I want that narrative, but um, I want it to be about a mother and a daughter, a single mom and a daughter. And um, because I'm a single mom with a daughter, and so that's something I can speak to. And I also wanted to, to direct women. And mm-hmm. I wanted it in a trailer park because I just think that they're really visual um, mm-hmm. to uh, to film in. And so he came up with with uh, with that. And then we and it was originally written as just a short film. And when I was in um, the editing room in post production, and I was with my uh, sound designer and I was with my composer, we all were looking at it and all came up with the same concept that it would make a really great series. Mm-hmm. Everybody kept saying, we want to know more about the other people who live in the park. So mm-hmm. John and I have developed it as a limited series where we will look at that same crime through the eyes of various uh, residents of the park over mm-hmm. like a 48 hour period prior to, to when it happens. So that's mm-hmm. what we've done with that book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, right there, because uh, all the characters seem like, you know, they are like established characters that would be in a longer, you know, narrative. So it does uh, lend itself to be like to be a feature. And uh, but when you're when you're editing it and you think, well, you know, I mean, to be a, uh, a series when you're editing it and you think, well, maybe this could be a series. Um, do you also have to think, though? like you were saying to have a, a beginning, a middle and an end, you know, to play at the festivals to ha- how, how did you decide to, to edit it where it could still be the first episode of a series and also can just play as a, as a one, uh, a but, one but thing that you that, see at the festival. That, that's where, um, I decided I cut it and did it as the short film. Mm-hmm. And I also felt that, when I've submitted it to festivals, I have said to them, rather than submit the first episode, I'm submitting the finale. Mm-hmm. So it's the ending where we okay. find out who killed the guy mm-hmm. and who the guy is. But our series will be six episodes up to that, to that last episode. Mm-hmm. So, so rather than submit the pilot, I'm submitting the uh, the finale, and and all of the festivals that take episodic all say you can. It doesn't have to be the pilot. Doesn't have to be the first episode. It can be any episode, mm-hmm. as long as you know what your arc is for your series. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's what we did. It was like I'm like that's you know that's the finale right there. Mm-hmm. With so many uh, streaming platforms now that, you know, all need, uh, you know, content, 
it's a, it is a good time, I think, to to have, you know to create a series. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and it's been being picked up in festivals in the episodic um, category um, and um, playing again. A lot of times, people are creating um, new media web series that are short and sort of mm-hmm. quibby length, you know, like under five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, each episode, and I had wanted to create, um, when I decided it was a series, it was always going to be a longer short, because I needed to be able to show that I could direct um, like a half-hour drama if I opted to go into television, mm-hmm. and um, Red, and uh, Lancaster Park is a minute or two shorter than the, 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 the allotted time with commercials for a half-hour drama. So um, I, my short is going in as a, as a, almost as a standard, um, already established television format of, you know, the HBOs and the Netflix and the Amazons where they're either, you know, a half hour or an hour network television um, rather than web series, um, streaming web series that uh, tend to be much shorter. So that, but they're also, I think that the much shorter format tends to be um, for a demographic that I'm probably not reaching for. I'm reaching for a slightly older demographic. Yeah. Right. Um, than, you know, uh, a millennial group uh-huh. who, who need, you know, a shorter attention span. Yeah. Yeah. I had my own story there was, uh, I was on um, a short film, which they, someone was on the show and asked me, uh, like me wanted me to do a little small, just like a little cameo. I was like, yeah. And so I was there and I was the oldest person there. I'm 44 now. I was probably 42 then. And, uh, I just mentioned, you know, I was talking and that I do you know, podcast and this other guy also said he did a podcast and he was saying that he, ed- he edits them down to 90 seconds to put on, um, on Instagram. I think it was 90 seconds, whatever the limit is or 80 seconds. 90. And I just couldn't wrap my head around the idea of, uh, of of the that's the entire it wasn't like a, a a trailer to like hey this is a highlight go listen old thing that was the, the the his whole podcast and I just couldn't wrap my head around uh, around that. Wow, I know. I I I mean I understand the format mm-hmm. in that you know what they're trying to do is is all these uh, uh, shorter web series uh, are trying to compete with. Facebook and Instagram for people, people's, you know, you're on train or you're on a bus or you're waiting right. for a doctor surgery or you're doing something and you have like five minutes. What do people do? They start to scroll through Instagram and Facebook mm-hmm. on their phones. Well, you know, the smart people out there who, who want to make money realize if we could create series that fill the same, you know, short time, we can also put mm-hmm. ads around them and, you know, and, and that will work. And so that's what they're, they're not, and so they're not really competing with the establishment. Mm-hmm. They're creating a new establishment, as it were, you know. Mm-hmm. They, want, they want people, and they also create them to be seen on a small device. Right. As opposed to a larger device. So like when you actually started to make uh, shorts, like what was your goal to, to do with them? Like, you know, did you um, have like a, a longer goal? Really, there wasn't really a goal at the time. Mm-hmm. 
um, I was talking to um, a friend of mine on the Isle of Man who I had worked with on a few projects as production designer on some shorts, uh, the same group that John and I worked with. And, um, and he said, oh, you should direct something one day. You know, why haven't you ever directed? And I said, well, I don't know. You know, I've kind of been doing it in my head for years, but maybe. And um, there was a grant that I could go for, which I went for. And um, and I got the money and I got John to write the script. And I thought, well, I'll just give it a go. Kind of like, you know, I'll try skiing or I'll try painting or I'll try something, you know, and see. And I had such a good time doing it. Such a good time doing it. And I have, it's weird. I never felt more comfortable, more at home than I did at that monitor and on that set. So I realized it was something that I had to do. And then I went back and did season three of True Detective. And during that time, I was kind of skipping out for long weekends to go to festivals. And at the end of True Detective, I then decided I was going to hang up my pop hat pretty much. And, um, and just push to try and get directing work, which is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, so after you did... Sort of, it, it was born from from just trying it out, as it were. And I, I assume, Matt, since you did a second one, uh, when, when you did the first one, it was something you decided, this is something I would like to pursue. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I, when I even, like, from, from right from the get-go of, of prepping it, Mm-hmm. I was um, I was crazy about doing it. I was like, I loved it. Um, and I think one of the, the biggest things about it was that I was the final word. So um, I could say, you know, yes, it's this cup or yes, it's that jacket without having to go, I really think it should be this cup. <laughs> right. But then the final decision comes from 12 other people. And mm. I just, you know, knowing that I could make the decisions um, and they and it was the final word was so awesome. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you. It was really great. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Ready to Go, your first uh, short, which I, I really liked a lot, is uh, it's kind of quirky and uh, it's charming. And then um, it kind of has a... The, the ending is it really doesn't go where you expect it to go, but it's primarily one character. One guy's talking, you know, and there's some other people around. So you have to really make sure you get the right person for that, for that role, since it's one character. So how was it, how was yeah. it defined? How was it defined the right guy for that role? Well, my producer on that project, um, who again is another one of the Man in Shorts group that, and I've worked with her before, um, she's also uh, has a casting company. And she said, you know what, we'll just go through, like go through TV stuff and look at people because actors like to act. And at the end of the day, you pay them an equity minimum, you fly them over to the Isle of Man for three days, and they get to be number one on the call sheet. And, you know, even if it's horrible, it's kind of like a little three-day mini break that they go to do something. And um, you can just ask. They can only say no. 
And mm-hmm. so I'm really good with faces, but not very good with names. So she and uh, uh, she and John went through and sent me, I don't know, about 30 different people to look at. And um, Kevin was one of those people. And we I narrowed it down to like five or six guys. And we did put the package together and sent it off. And um, three said no, straight out. And two said um, they were unavailable for our date. And then John got a um, couple of weeks of, on a feature. And so we had to push our date. So we resubmitted and Kevin Doyle came back and said, yes, now I'm available. And, I would, uh, and I'm very interested in doing the project. And so he and I talked on the phone and I was very excited about it. Um, initially, uh, John was wary. He hadn't written Lance. In his head, Lance wasn't that person. But he's also a very generous writer in that, especially as he was shooting it as well. He says, okay, I've written it, here's the script, that's it. It's entirely up to you what you do with it. So there was never any questioning of my choices from him coming, you know, being at my side as the DP, the writer in him never came out. And now he says he can't imagine anybody else but Kevin playing Lance. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I, uh, when we talked, I was really excited because Kevin seemed to pick up on the same vibe in the script of this quite sort of um, well put together, but but slowly, you know, very lonely man, um, rather than John had him kind of more of a slob-like bachelor. And uh, Kevin was was perfect. And he came on board and he said that he felt that he loved the writing, loved John's writing, and was very interested to work with somebody who was changing hats. And he said, I've worked with a lot of first-time directors and as an actor, a lot of times you just have to kind of direct yourself in those situations. But he said, I was really intrigued to see how it would be to be with somebody who'd been on set and worked with actors for a really long time, finally taking a directing role. And we got on really well. And I think that we did between us all a really good job. We were very happy with it. And he has been very happy with it. And, um, and we've stayed in touch and I would love to cast him in something else again, because I've found him to be such a, such a wonderful um, calming presence and he just you can tell he's a journeyman television actor you know the man's been acting for 40 years mm-hmm. um, and he just comes in and does it and you know there's no fuss there's no you know crazy diva-esque I did see him in LA when they were on the junket um, the, the Academy Oscar junket uh, for Downton Abbey because Ready to Go had become Oscar eligible. And we went out to dinner and I was, I teased him. I said, well, how many other people have two films that are 
eligible for an Oscar. <laughs> right. And uh, so he was very supportive of that. Mm-hmm. So wh- when you after you filmed it, um, you so you did you did the editing on Ready to Go too? Yeah, I worked with an editor. I don't actually physically do the cutting, uh-huh. but I'm very um, uh, one of my. Well, I think it's a strength. Is is I I think I'm really good with pacing in mm. stories like that, and so um, I let the editors play with you know the avid toys, and I will say you know I mean the thing about a narrative as opposed to a documentary, and also I don't do a lot of takes, so I know exactly you know one or two takes, and I know exactly which one I want to use or what portion of one I use. So when we're shooting, all of that goes into the notes. So the notes and the, the footage will go to the editor and they do a first pass through. And then I will watch the first pass and say, no, it was the other take, or we need to come out of this here. Or And I'll do a timeline on it where I'll watch it and go, oh, okay, at, at 3.26.90, you know, we need to cut right there. Um, rather than, you know, the, the millisecond afterwards or something. So I'll sit there and go through all of that. I was more hands-on with Lancaster Park because the editor um, was in L.A. and I was in L.A. So I could go to her house and we could spend five hours, you know, playing around with stuff um, because... Lancaster Park had a different set of problems that we needed more footage than we had. So we were trying, I was trying to be creative with what we had um, mm. to, to make, make the story work. Um, but with Ready to Go, I did a first two passes in person with our editor and then he was in London and I was back in Los Angeles. And um, no, yeah, Los Angeles. And um, so he would he would send me something. I would go through it all and make all my notes, return it back to him, and he would cut according to those notes. And then it would come back again, and then we would tweak again. So that happened maybe four or five times. And then it goes to sound, and then it goes to with the music, and then it goes to coloring, and then it comes out. So... When you when you have it finished, did you were you aware of like the festival scene? Did you know what you do with your short after you had it, you know, edited and, and done? Uh, John John had, had made several shorts and they had mm-hmm. been out on the festival circuit. I hadn't, and so um, my composer Andrew Allen King, who composed music, some of the music for Lancaster Park and all of the music for Ready to Go. He introduced me to a woman, uh, Rebecca Smith, who has a company called the Film Festival Doctor. And mm-hmm. basically she has a series of staggered, you know, pricing programs where she will assist you in your um, uh, festival um, choices. Mm-hmm. And because I am... Not 22, just out of film school with my first film. I knew that I had to sort of go big on the first one. 
um, to, to sort of make, you know, if I wanted to do this for a living, I, I couldn't like send it to two or three festivals. I had to go big and really make an impact with it. Mm-hmm. And she was great because she know, knew the, there's a really very defined um, timeline of when and where you submit and what you, sub- you know, what festivals you submit to. Uh, for instance, I started submitting at the end of uh, the beginning of December of 17. And she had it structured so that there was no film, there was no festival public showing in Los Angeles prior to L.A. Shorts. Mm-hmm. Because L.A. Shorts was one of the films that one of the festivals that she wanted me to get into. And so certain festivals have certain requirements. So that was really great, the way that she helped me do it. And I learned a lot. So on, with Lancaster Park, because I had been through this process with Ready to Go, I knew where we could go, where I could go as an alumni, uh, where we had won festivals before. I had contacts with all the directors because once you're accepted into a festival, there's always a lot of emails going back and forth about things. So I was able to go back to people and say, okay, I have my next project and here it is. doesn't guarantee that you get in, but it at least mm-hmm. guarantees that you get looked at, um, you know, mm-hmm. favorably. And um, I was able to do do that on my own on the second one through. But I would recommend um, to any first-time filmmakers or if you have a feature that you want to try and sell, um, Rebecca's company is really brilliant and she's really brilliant. Mm-hmm. And she's so, uh, actually a doctor. Film. Oh, really? She's got a PA film. So she really is the film festival doctor. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, did you go to a lot of the festivals yourself in person when they were they were uh, showing your your film, your short? Yes, ready to go. I did. There will be. Mm. Um, I will try and go um, with Lancaster Park, but mm. having had eighteen months of really not working and developing projects and. Uh, developing and shooting and setting up Lancaster Park, um, which I self-funded, um, there's not quite the cash flow uh, mm-hmm. necessary to go to all of the festivals. Um, but what's, you know, one of the good things that for me that's come out of this terrible um, COVID-19 scenario is a lot of festivals that we got into that I would have liked to have gone to, um, mm-hmm. sunscreen in Florida, uh, the women's film festival in Philadelphia. Um, they have, uh, Houston, there's one in Houston. They've all pushed, they've all mm-hmm. pushed till like the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. And potentially by then I will have made some money again and I mm-hmm. will be able to go to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. This uh, actually is starting today was supposed to be Boston underground film festival. And I have a short film in uh, festivals right now and it was supposed to play, but uh, it's been uh, postponed till sometime. I'm not sure when, but uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it sucks on one hand, but it's also like you said, knowing that it will happen eventually is uh, is good. Yeah, I think if it was my first film, I would be really like devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's you know it's like a second child, you know mm-hmm. you've done it once, you know you know it will be fine. <laughs> right. So it's um. You know, and it gives me, you know, there's a bit of breathing room there. Um, mm-hmm. There are festivals that I know, you know, that we're in regardless. Um, and everyone's pushing. Um, nobody's actually flat out cancelled. Um, mm-hmm. Anywhere that we've been accepted, nobody's flat out cancelled. I think South by Southwest cancelled. We weren't in. Yeah, we I think they may have. Yeah. yeah. But they have just basically cancelled, and I think of refunding everybody. Which again, if you you know, it's a big festival to get into. So mm-hmm. I was actually going to um, reach out to them because sometimes the programmers change, and mm-hmm. I know that they like Sundance have a lot of different programmers, um, and I'm going to find out whether I can resubmit for 2021. Mm-hmm. Just to see, you know, maybe if another programmer sees it, right, it might, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it might get in, you know, or it depends on what, you know, maybe the people who um, have submitted this year and been accepted uh, won't resubmit. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. Yeah, we'll see. What was the experience like watching your first uh, short uh, in the festivals? You know, with an audience. Yeah, <laughs> the first one. <laughs> was really weird. Uh-huh. We world premiered at the East End Film Festival in London. And they had programmed um, the, the, the block that we were in was programmed as uh, all around suicide, depression, um, uh, abuse, and so I went, and you have seen Ready to Go. My, I'm very British. I like gallows humor. And I like dark subject matter with great comic relief. And mm-hmm. there is that in spades in Ready to Go. And mm-hmm. so the first time I watched it, everything else was so dark and so depressing. Nobody laughed. And I came out and I was like, the beats, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the beats aren't there. I'm sitting there thinking, why aren't people laughing at these particular (laughs) Uh lines or these particular moments? And people came up to me afterwards and said, we really did want to laugh, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. we felt so bad because it was such a depressing block that we didn't feel it was right to laugh. (coughs) So that was my, Uh that was the first time I watched it. The second screening which was our uh, North American uh, premiere, which was in Florida at Sunscreen. Um, We were in the comedy block and it was fantastic. It was a big theater. It was absolutely packed. And people laughed in all the places I want them to laugh, cried (laughs) in all the places I wanted to cry and jumped in all the places I wanted them to jump. And Uh it was fantastic. So you just, it just depends on, how they program you, you know, because that particular, you know, Lancaster Park is very much a drama. There right. isn't any question of being, you know, mm-hmm. a comedy. Ready to go 
you could look at it, you know, two different ways. It has a quite deep subject matter, but mm -hmm. we hand, handle it with comic relief as opposed to flat out comedy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but it, is, it depends on where you program. But I love watching people watch it. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's really fun to see people's reactions. Mm -hmm. So, uh, since, uh, what has the uh, feedback been so far for Lancaster Park for the people that have got to see it? Really great. People mm -hmm. um, come up to me and I've had um, several parents of, of, you know, older, you know, adult children now all come up and say, you know, if I had been in, I would have done exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. I would have gone and uh, and done exactly the same. Um, I don't want to like uh, spoiler mm -hmm. spoiler alert yeah, spoiler right. alert, but yeah, uh -huh. go, go destroy the evidence, as it were. Um, <laughs> but yes, people have come back and have come back, and everyone wants to know which way we're going with it episodically, um, and they all want to know. You know, ask me about different characters and. Will you develop that character or will you bring out that person? And um, so it's it's really good. And a lot of really wonderful feedback for Sarah Arrington, my um, my lead, and um, how brilliant she is. And she's lovely. Uh, another professional actress that I lucked out with. Um, but again, I would... Um, She's one of those people I would love to work with again and again and again. I kind of like the idea of creating a troupe um, of, of crew and cast and just doing lots of different stories uh, with the, you know, a la American horror story kind of thing where you have the same people yeah. do a different story, do a different thing. But you mm -hmm. just have these great people who can do, you know, that you work together and it's like a big, happy you know, fun, get to go play with all your friends and do some, do stuff. So that's what I would yeah. like to have. <clears throat> yeah. It's almost like a uh, American horror story is almost like a theater group. Like, you know, they do, you mm -hmm. know, one mm -hmm. and then, then every season it's a new one, but you get to see the same people in different roles. And, uh, I like that. Cause, uh, and, um, you know, I liked the other series, like, uh, you mentioned, uh, you worked on true detective to say, and I, this, they don't use the same people, but I do like the idea of a different story each season, uh, with one big story yeah. arc. Uh, it's, I, it's, I like, like that. Some true, place. Yeah. True detectives, you know, primarily, uh, you know, a conversation mm -hmm. between two people, um, you know, and it's just planted, you know, about their, about their long-term, you know, extended relationship. And that they're just, those, those conversations just happen to be planted in, um, you know, a crime. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, it's the theater truth group that I like the idea of. I've been trying, I'm building up, um, a crew, uh, behind the camera that I would like to, I would love to be in a position where I could keep people working all the time and just have my group that we go from project to project to project. And um, with the same actors and the same, and the same behind the scenes, uh, behind the camera group. So that's my ideal. This is Michael Felker. And this is Jory Richmond.
And, and where would, would you like, like to try again? again? And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Your Head. Woo! I hope that came across. <laughs> I did it. What are you working on currently? Okay, so I have several things. I have a feature that um, is ready to go. Um, we're out pitching it um, that was written by a uh, woman screenwriter who I met at the Albuquerque um, Music and Film Festival, and um, which is a missing persons drama, um, very sort of dark, you know, dysfunctional, uh, multiple timelines, um, which is fantastic. I really love it. The woman who wrote it, Jana Brown, had a film that was out in the same year circuit that Ready to Go was, and we kept being at the same festivals. And um, we, we sort of hit it off, and she called me and said, I've written a novel, um, but I think it might make a really good movie. Would you read a few chapters and tell me? And she sent it, and I said, I love it. I already know how I want to shoot the opening scene. And so she went away and created a script and we tweaked it around and um, where we have decks made and, you know, casting choices and producers are looking at it and we hope to get that going. I have um, a project in the UK with Bev Lawley, who was my producer on Ready to Go, called The Brig Lily, uh, about a shipwreck in the 18... 60s and um, its repercussions. Another, we don't, we uh, have treatment on that. We don't have a script yet. So that's earlier in, in development. And I have a, a limited series that I'm developing um, about some women in the Second World War. So those things are there. And then I also decided that I needed to do a feature because, again, I'm running into, as I did with You Only Have One Short, now I'm getting people say, well, you haven't done a feature. So <laughs> right. I, was having, I was having breakfast with uh, four of uh, women that I'd met, again, on the festival circuit, filmmakers, and I said, I really wish I could come up with a concept and that I could shoot in my apartment, a movie that I could shoot in its entirety in my apartment. And I kept referencing Chris Sparling with Buried that he, I had talked to him once and he said, I had to write something that I could afford to do. And so I wrote Buried because most of it's in a box. And mm. that's we, uh, last Sunday, we sat here for four hours and we came up with a script uh, idea and we've sort of fleshed out the three acts and um, Steffi Hill, who's a writer actress has gone off to write it. And um, we have figured out how we're going to shoot it. And the people, my apartments have fourplex. So everybody in the building is on board because we might have to use one other apartment. And everyone's all excited about it. So we reckon we can shoot it in three weekends. And we're hoping to do it for next to no money. And it has a really fun, because we all met through the, the festivals. Um, 
and you know everybody's somehow connected on several different levels it has a nice um sort of pr story back for these kind of conversations after you've done the film so that's what we're doing as well very cool and where can you follow uh what you're doing do you have like a, a website or a social um, media page i have um there's i have uh instagram for Lancaster Park short film. Um, my Instagram, I don't tweet. It's, uh-huh. too, it's too confusing. <laughs> or, or I get completely caught up in like a million threads and, and it's not productive for me. So I don't tweet. Uh, but my Instagram is Linda J. Reese. And um, I keep stuff up on there all the time. And it's the same on Facebook. So if, you know, festival announcements come up or, you know, things that I'm starting to work on, that's where um, you would find the info. And during this sort of studio downtime where um, I'm not going to have any meetings, I'm not going to be out and about, I am working on developing um, a web page purely for um, Leon, which is my production company, where it would be much easier for everybody to follow what the projects are by following Liam. So that will be happening too. All right. Very cool. Well, I enjoyed talking with you. Now, yes, I enjoyed talking with you too, Neil. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing it and I will go and start to listen to all the others and see who you chat to. All right. Well, I appreciate that. And good luck I... with your... Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Well, uh, a little similar vote. It's uh, kind of a, a weird sense of humor. And some uh, when I saw it, at, when I saw my own short at, at the festivals, I was really uh, curious if people would get that it's a, a comedy and not uh, actually serious. So it was a yeah. very strange, uh, especially the very the first time. It was very it was a very odd experience. But uh, since then, yeah. it's, it's been uh, it's been great to watch with people. So yeah. thank you. No, I appreciate you, you can- you can always immediately tell who who has a twisted sense of humor when uh-huh. you hear the big belly laughs at the moment exactly. where you would belly laugh and you go, okay, right. that's one of my tribes there. They they watch they know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So very good, and I enjoyed your stuff, and look uh, look forward to seeing more of your work. Excellent, thank you, Neil. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. 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 in college now and I get high and watch TV all day living in my mother's basement's really not that bad I got everything I need and I don't pay and I never asked to grow up so please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up don't think I'll make it For me. I was doing fine when I was still a kid Swapping baseball cards and playing ball Then came my school classes that I couldn't understand And girls who wouldn't notice me at all But I never 
if I just agree with them But I say not now No, not right now When they say I need to get a life I 